0: you are listening to art the around the renaissance table podcast a show that looks to entertain and speak to the renaissance man in us all that goes for even you ladies i'm your host arturo i have found that the best conversations are had over a meal around a big table with interesting people from all walks of life Join me each week as I share a meal with some of the most interesting, ordinary heroes out there. Enjoy. And you are listening to the inaugural episode of Around the Renaissance Table with special guest, my good friend, Dr. Ahmed Ali. Doc Ali studied at Emory University. He also studied religion at the School of the Orient and African Studies in London, and he graduated med school from the University of Pennsylvania. Without further ado, I would like to introduce you to my good friend and one of the knights of the round table, Brother Dr. Ahmed Ali. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, For those who can't see us, we are sitting around Doc Ali's dining room table here in Inman Park. Uh, He was kind enough to cook us a really good dinner from, as he put it, his people. Uh, Doc Ali comes from Indian descent, if you couldn't decipher that from the names. Doc, could you tell us a little bit about dinner tonight?
1: Yeah, um, it was a bit of a smorgasbord of stuff. Um, We had some aromatic Basmati rice. Um, We had some funked up. Spicy tomato sauce um, and some lentil soup, which we call dal. Um, and the the highlight of the night was the the grass fed
0: beef stew curry. Very nice. It was a, it was an amazing amazing meal. Uh, I think when people think of Indian related food, they think of curry based dishes that kind of stink the house up. They don't think of something amazing like we had tonight. Well, I appreciate that. The house is kind of stinky, though. No, nope, no, nope. no. It smells like a bear lives here. <laughs> <laughs> These are facts. <laughs> <laughs> That's an inside joke if you don't know him. Uh, my biggest experience with India was my time in Calcutta. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you can imagine, that place does not smell lovely. I can only imagine. It was a running joke when I was there that I had a plan to clean Calcutta up if they would only elect me their mayor. And I was going to partner with Clorox and Febreze. And we were going to pressure wash the entire city. And then we were going to fly tanker helicopters over and just Febreze the whole city. That was my initial cleanup plan uh, for Calcutta. That sounds like a winning proposition. You would have
1: you would have made out like a bandit.
0: <laughs> uh, so the reason I decided to bring Doc Ali on as one of our first guests is uh, Ahmed and I have become friends through a mutual friend, and you have those kind of conversations that you have with guys at bars, and you talk football, you talk tits, you talk beer, and you just kind of have like surface level conversations, and then in time. Doc and I started having these conversations at the side of a bar, which turned into long conversations on the phone, where you kind of start exploring the, the underlying issues of life that don't really get addressed so much. Uh, and there would be serious conversations, and we would have the laughs and the jokes. But to be able to have a friend like yourself that I learned so much from, uh, when my father was going through his cancer, you call and check up, making sure he was getting the right treatments. It's great to have friends like that. So I wanted to bring you in today and just pick your brain and let our friends and fans and family kind of eavesdrop on that conversation that you and I so, so often have. So that's what we're here for today, man. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Topic number one. All right. After... 97 months of lockdown and all of your research and all of your kind of professional education and studies, where do you stand today on COVID-19? I think it sucks. Not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can all agree there. <laughs> no, Nothing controversial has been said yet.
1: Uh, yeah, I think... Um, it's, a, it's an uncharted time. Uh, I think we're all in the dark. No one really knows what exactly is going on. But in a nutshell, I think um, it's precarious how this came to be. There's a lot of question marks about where COVID comes from. None of that really gets much press. Um, we're not really trying to sort out, like, how did this happen? Sure. Right? We're, we're kind of distracted by all of the the that politiz- Politicist. Politicize. Let, let me try that one more time. Politicization. Third time's a charm. Um, of of COVID and how it's being managed um, and and kind of what directions we've been we've been given, masks, no masks, how far is it? six feet, ten feet, sixteen feet? Um, so you know, I think I think um, there's a lot of how it's being managed is is very distracting from the actual science and sure. medicine of, of it and how to prevent it, how to treat it. Um, we don't really hear very much about
0: that kind of stuff. So coming as the medical profession in the room, and if I said I had a team of expert advisors around me, mm-hmm. you would obviously be my medical expert on speed dial. What... Would be the biggest steps that, in your opinion, people could do to protect themselves from COVID 19 with all of the conspiracy stuff out the window? Like, let's set all of the fuckery afoot aside. Uh-huh. What would you say is the biggest thing people can do to protect themselves from this virus?
1: I think social distancing. So, distance, um, that's a sure bet. You know, there's certain kinds of masks that um, have been shown to be very effective, um, but the general cloth masks, I think the verdict is still out. Um, it's a controversial area. Um, but uh, that and I think um, just being healthy, you know, um, trying to, uh, you know, stay away from developing other morbid conditions because we know patients or people that um, have that are unhealthy and have other medical problems um, succumb to the disease a lot, a lot worse. Sure. Than others. Um, but that's all we really
0: know. You know, I mean that in terms
1: of like facts.
0: Sure. So if you had a real quick like ABC bullet points you could give people, what are those three steps to protect themselves from COVID? Um, I would say just be
1: mindful. Like, don't be – don't have your head up your ass and, and think that, uh, you know, it, think that it's it, – go, go out behaving like it's 1999. It, you know, it, it's not. It's a different era. This thing is real. It is around. People are getting sick from it. Um, so just, just be mindful of that. I don't think people need to live in a hole um, and completely isolate themselves from um, the rest of society as, as a whole but I think um, mindfulness is really important so number one number two I think um, make sure you're living a healthy lifestyle you know you're getting your exercise in you're eating about ba- eating balanced meals getting your sleep all of that really has a lot to do with your immune health and um, how robust your ability to fight off disease um, is so so that would be number two uh, two, and I think um, along the same lines, dovetailing into that, I think is, is um, you know, uh, supplements. I think there's certain supplements that uh, I think have been shown to be of benefit.
0: Um, and so as our lady, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, always preaches, vitamin D, vitamin D, vitamin D. Vitamin D is big. It's huge.
1: Yeah, it, so Rhonda Patrick. I'm a big fan of hers. I've learned a lot from her, her, uh, her work and her insights, um, just about health in general, but a lot about COVID as well. But um, yeah, so vitamin D is a biggie. Um, we we know that the uh, um, the rates and severity of people that are uh, deficient in vitamin D with COVID are worse. Um, zinc is important. Magnesium is important. Um, a lot of it has to do with how COVID is transmitted um, sure. from, um, from outside the body to inside the body, and then from inside the body to inside cells, which is uh, what makes you sick. Um, and so there's a, there's a catchphrase that uh, Rhonda Patrick references a lot called zinc ionophores, um, which is has to do with the mechanism of transmission And uh, if you can block that mechanism of transmission or block the transmission from inside your airway to inside your cells, then that's a way of protecting yourself. Um, And a lot of that has to do with um, your immune system. So, you know, um, all of those things that we just mentioned, vitamin D, zinc, um, magnesium, uh, help that in different ways in terms of the different... um, pathways
0: sure so all right what i'm i'm hearing your three steps of what you recommend the average person does to protect themselves against covid my mind goes to as a Mm non-doctor to let the cat out of the bag for any of our friends and listeners i'm not a medical doctor Mm -hmm. um as we isolate and as we hide ourselves from the world as we've been in this quarantine for the last 17 years, it seems like. Do you see the cold season and the flu season that we're heading into being more problematic than normal because people are so isolated? I feel like in isolation, our immune systems aren't going to the gym and getting the workout that they need to. Mm -hmm. And so when we do get re-released into the wild, our immune systems are used to being on vacation and they're not going to be up to par to protect us. Am I wrong? Is that bro science?
1: It's hard to say. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if anybody really knows. Uh, it's it's not predictable. Let's just put it that way. I think um, you know in the news there's a lot of alarmism, um, and and the anticipation is is that you know rates there's going to be a, a second wave. How to distinguish that from just the the flu itself? Um, it's 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 difficult, especially when you've got um, a less than perfect test um, for COVID. So, yeah, you know, I think I think um, it'll be very people are people are going to get the flu, and um, it is flu season, and it's going to be difficult to distinguish uh, that from COVID itself. Um, and uh, and I think it, what it may do, like the the, the ripple effects of that are that it may cause um, a lot of paranoia um, about a second, a second, or a third wave of this. Sure. Because
0: um, how many how many damn waves of this can we have? And I'll equate it to September the eleventh of two thousand and one, when 9-11 happened. We lost the ability to wear shoes through the airport security mm-hmm. unless uh, you've been pre-checked you're 19 years later, you're taking your shoes off to go through security. We've still never got that right back. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to wonder if the ability to be a normal person, to go outside, to not wear a mask, to kiss strangers, is that a right or a privilege we're never going to get back? Cause there is going to be a second wave and a third wave and a fourth wave. And I'll add one more statement on top of that. We are starting to hear that if you've had COVID, you only have the immunities to COVID for three to six months, and then you can get it again. So is this some vicious cycle that we're going to be in for the rest of our lives?
1: Uh, well, yeah, I hope not. I mean, I don't think. But am I crazy? That's, no, that's the million-dollar question. You know, I mean, that's the worst-case scenario. It's very dystopian. Um, My take on it is, well, one, you know, the way this is being managed is politicized. And what we're talking about here...
0: 100%.
1: What we're talking about here right now in terms of, you know, the parallels to 9-11, shoes, you know, the parallels to that would be like the the masks, the mask... um, There's a few more parallels to 9-11 here. Go ahead. Yeah, like, you know, the the mask ordinance. um, Is that something we'll ever be able to shed? In, in the way they are right now. And that's all of this is kind of uh, being worked out and is varies from state to state, county to county, city to city. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, we'll know a lot more um, as we learn more about how this virus works. Um, we don't really understand how immunity for this thing. Sure. So, you know, for example, uh, a lot of patients don't develop antibodies to this. A lot of people that have had it don't develop antibodies to it. They're not prevalent. So, you know, will a vaccine work if we're not if we're not developing antibodies? That's how we confer resistance. Um, so in your and medical immunity. Ex-
0: in your medical experience, are you familiar with any other viruses that people have not developed antibodies to? I'm
1: not personally. I'm not immunolo- I'm not an immunologist, I'm not a virologist. I'm not uh, or an ID doc, and I don't play one on TV. But no, I'm not aware of of any any kind of infection that um, you that an immunocompetent person does not develop some form of antibodies. Sure. To. Um, now so, that being said, it is viral, um, and there is new data, um, and well, I'd say it's emerging at this point in time. I think it's fair to say that even though patients don't develop antibodies to being exposed to the the covid they um they have a change in their t, t cell expression and so they do actually have immunity even though it's not uh, demonstrated by their antibody response it's demonstrated by their t cell response um so that's a good sign it's an encouraging sign um that you know there could be long term Immunity, but it may not be something we can measure
0: via antibodies. Sure. If that makes any sense. Sure. You you just threw out a lot of uh, SAT words <laughs> and words that I'm kind of having to think of Latin and process them through in my head to make sure I understand everything. But what everything you just said led me to want to ask you is, doesn't this sound more and more like a man-made virus to you?
1: Uh, well, you know, again, I, I think where this virus originates from, there's it's very speculative. We don't, we have no idea, and there's no firm evidence. Um, there, uh, you know, there's the first story we got was that it came from from bats and in wet markets in China. Sure. Um, there's been a lot of question marks about about that, about, um, you know, whether that truly is the reality of, of how this came to be. Um, if it is a a virus that's figured out a way from being transmitted from bat to bat, to bat, to human. Um, and that's possible. Um, But, you know, the wet market that it came from apparently was a fish wet market, didn't have bats. That's a hell of a game of tag. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, yeah, and I don't know. I mean, you know, I think um, there's a lot of conjecture about uh, Wuhan, the laboratories. Um, You know, they're some of the most advanced virology laboratories in the world. Um, Are they... Would they be capable of, of a bioweapon, bioterrorism, of trying to experiment on that and perhaps something got out or, you know, I mean, you know, others, you know, may may surmise that it's possible that it, it was volitional. Um, so, but yeah, it's it's I don't think we have anything to really any hard evidence to go on about that. But they're all very valid questions. Um Questions, hard questions, but important questions for us to ask. Because, you know, right now we're we're kind of getting to a place, at least I feel like, where we are um, coming out of being spooked by this. Sure. You know, I think people are, are...
0: I think we're getting to a point where people are just pissed off. People are pissed off and miserable. When we were told, uh, hey, we're going to lock it down for two weeks to stop the spread Mm -hmm. back at St. Patrick's Day in March. We all went, hey, we can make this sacrifice. For the next two weeks, I'm going to go to the grocery store one time. I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to use all of my hand sanitizer. I'm not going to kiss strangers. (laughs) I'm not going to see my mom, my dad, my grandmother, my little cousin with polio, none of it. And we all agreed to it for two weeks. Six months later, even my most far-left friends who don't question anything they're told, they're even starting to go, come on, get out of here. Really, we're going to lock the world down for six more months? I think we're all at a point of being pissed off. And more and more and more and more, and I've always been a little bit rebellious in my life, think you get that we're all like come on if if I'm gonna get COVID let me get it right let me get let me go ahead and get it and get it over with I was disappointed I went on a uh, guy's weekend to Savannah a few weekends ago and everyone went to Savannah there were some COVID tests done make sure no one had COVID uh, we went to Tybee Island we went to, Sa- to Savannah Uh, and probably had a little bit more fun than we should have had in a COVID era. Uh, But we all came back, and there was not a COVID test positive in the bunch. Mm -hmm. And we were upset. We thought for all the bad decisions we had made during that time, somebody would have come back with COVID-19. And I say all that to say, we just wanted to go ahead and get it and be done with it but nobody came back with it. We did everything wrong that you're not supposed to do in the COVID era. Granted, we quarantined when we came back. We were safe. If we were gonna kill anybody, it was only gonna be ourselves. We didn't see our families, our parents, our grandparents. So we wouldn't sit on it with that. But nobody got it. The, The more I look into this, just the less trusting I am of it. And it makes me question what's going on behind the scenes. Um, I've heard a rumor, and I want to ask you this, and if you can't speak to it, it's completely okay. Is there any validity in the fact that any of the COVIDs, COVID 0 through 18, are patented?
1: I actually don't know. Yeah, that's that's a good question,
0: but I don't have an answer for that.
1: Um, that's
0: uh, that's a rumor that's floating out there, and I've not heard it confirmed uh, are really denied. Yeah, that'd be that'd be scary. Uh, hey, on the Wills of Steels in the back, uh, Kaylin, could you research to see if there's any validity that any of the covids uh, are a patented virus? Because that's kind of one of the um, the rumors floating around huh. the internet, if you will. Well, I mean, if that's the case, then
1: I mean, you can only patent what you can technically engineer, quote unquote. So, yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that'd be, I don't know if that, if, if they, if that was true, if that would be available to public, to Sure. The public. that kind of information might be highly sensitive, but who knows?
0: If, if we were to find out that, let's just say COVID one through 10 was a patented virus, what what would that tell you six months after we've started COVID uh, and on COVID-19?
1: Well, I mean, it wouldn't change how, it wouldn't change the science sure. of what we need to do to manage it, um, what we need to try to figure out, uh, what we need to do to prevent it, and to treat it. Um, but it would, get. getting back to that original question, where did this come from? And how do we prevent this from happening again? Um, so those are important questions.
0: Do we, do we have any evidence uh, in the research room? So
1: everything that pops up says false claim, misinformation, uh, patently false,
0: So it so it sounds like that's a rumor. It's not true. Correct. Good. I'm glad we asked. I'm glad to uh, expel that rumor. You know how conspiracies are. You Mm -hmm. want? I don't like sci-fi, but I love a conspiracy. That's that's my science fiction. Mm -hmm. That's that's my fantasy world. (laughs) Um, And it's easy to run with them. But it's easy also to roam conspiracies in this day and time when we see so much propaganda from all sides being spewed on us. True. And True. one of the parallels from nine eleven to COVID-19 are the conspiracies. Oh, yeah. Because if they're not conspiracies, there's still valid questions to be asked and the holes in these stories. The one time of the year that NORAD was down was the morning of September 11th. That's pretty convenient. That's pretty convenient. Just the day before, Donald Rumsfeld, I believe it was, had announced that there was a trillion dollars missing. Uh, related to the Pentagon, the towers that were hit how's the accounting for the Pentagon. Those aren't rumors; those are those are credible facts. Mm-hmm. There's no conspiracy there. Those are facts. And then on nine eleven, we lose the Pentagon and we lose the twin towers, and Building Seven, and Tower Seven. That's that's. That's conspiracy. Well, there's questions that need to be asked there. And I would go on to say, with the virus that we have now, all facts. And anytime I'm wrong, please interject and tell me. Any thing we're hearing now shows there is a ninety nine point nine percent survival rate of COVID cases. Is that correct?
1: I don't know the actual uh, epidemiology and the stats. Uh, survival-wise, but, you know, that's, you have to figure out, you know, how they came up with those numbers. Sure. Right? What's the numerator? What's the denominator? Sure. Um, stats are easily manipulated. Abs- absolutely. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's just say, even our numbers from COVID, um, you know, you need to really get to the bottom of, you know where are these numbers coming from? Um, in terms of the number, the, the people that are infected, the number of deaths, uh, are people are the number of deaths causal? Meaning, are they are those did those people die of COVID? Is that on their death certificate or sure. did they did they happen to have a COVID diagnosis and Potentially died of something else, maybe right. a, a
0: heart attack. Or you, you're, you're, you're reading my, my mind and where I wanted to head to. Can you speak to the stats and the facts that came out from the CDC a few weeks ago? And people kind of took it and ran with it and blew it out of proportion to an extent. But the statement alleges that only 6% of all of the COVID deaths listed no other comorbidities. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? I'm not, but yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, so the way I read it, and I thought this was something we had spoke about previously, was, uh, again, as I said, only 6% of COVID cases uh, where death was involved, 6% only had COVID as the cause of death. The others had additional comorbidities. Uh, so the example that can be used is, uh, rest in peace George Floyd, he falls under a COVID death. We know COVID was not the cause of death. Correct. Um, Does he fall under a COVID death? According to everything I've been able to read, yes he does. Wow, I wasn't aware, no idea. two weeks before he passed, he tested positive for COVID. Uh, nasal swab was exhibit, was performed on him post-morbid, and it, too, tested positive for COVID. So that is attributed to a COVID case, therefore a COVID death.
1: So that's the concern, right? You know, the death certificate, the medical examiner files that, gives the, gives the cause of death, not what comorbid conditions patients happen to have at the time of death that's included and that may contribute to them dying but but you know they have to they have to dictate exactly what the cause of death is they have to pin it on something right um and they can't pin it on something that's as indirect as that that's just not that's not um it's not how it's done and it's it's misleading Sure, um, and that's the that's the concern here. Is that the numbers maybe the numbers that we had originally um, the alarming numbers that we had originally been um, informed of were perhaps a little misleading.
0: Interesting. Do you think the uh, kind of financial incentive financial incentive on COVID cases in hospitals a tribute to the misleading numbers? You put a financial incentive on someone coming into your hospital and having COVID.
1: Well, I think uh, every state is different, but um, states have been uh, concerned uh, about what hospitals have had to endure, rightfully so, and are Healthcare workers and our ability to really weather this this storm and these waves of COVID, especially after we saw how um, certain cities, and namely in our in our country, New York, uh, got totally plowed over by by COVID, especially the 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 medical industrial complex, the hospitals, and their ability to um, handle the the load of an acuity of disease. Um, so they there's been supplemental funding um, provided to hospitals for patients with a COVID diagnosis. Um, If you, if your patient, uh, for example, if you have a patient that comes in and is diagnosed with COVID um, you're going to get more money for that patient. Absolutely. Um, And rightfully so, uh, that patient could crump and be extremely ill and require a a lot of um, a lot of support, which, comes at a a significant cost. Um, Intensive support uh, in a lot of these patients um, do end up in the ICU and require ventilation and, um, you know, multi-organ management. Um, So, yes, so there's been, there's there's additional funding for patients with that diagnosis. And, um, you know, uh, anytime there's additional funding, you have to you know, there's always in, there's always a possible um,
0: incentive. Right? This, this is bro science again. I'm not an expert in it. But what I hear when I hear there are extra funds going to hospitals for COVID cases, we have given an incentive to skew the numbers. We don't know how skewed they are, but we have incentivized you yes. have incentivized the
1: numbers to be fudged. There's a lot there's a lot of bro science, there's a lot of uh, rumors I got um, a doctor in bro science. There <laughs> you go. Um, there's a lot of rumors going around and one of the ones that I've heard floating around is that you know, um, some of the hospital administrators have and this is this has been floating around in medical s- circles that the administrators have been not necessarily coercing but maybe pressuring um, some of the, the healthcare staff to check off that box on diagnosis to be able to procure those funds. Um, whether that's true or not, I have no idea. Um, I, I have never seen that or heard of any of that directly. Um, it's it's purely hearsay, but um, certainly um, you know certainly something that's been floating around.
0: All right, so we I think we've talked COVID long enough. I think we can agree <laughs> one thing: we are over COVID. Totally over it. Totally over mm-hmm. it. If we ever find out who's responsible for COVID, I will personally take the murder charge and handle it myself uh, and see that we have no more COVID. I'll, I'll take that on myself, Team America, and, and I'll go address we that. We appreciate your sacrifice. Hey, I will do that for you guys. <laughs> I just ask love. that y'all look after my lady, my dogs, my mom. Um, I do ask that in return. We We can do that. We'll take care of that. We'll do a social distant handshake on it. There, there it is, yep. <laughs> a social distant fist pump. Uh, all right, so next question. You are one of the seven smartest people I know. Hmm. You are welcome. Uh, well, <laughs> 2020 is already weird enough.
1: I was about to say. It's wow, about to get we do weirder. do not know enough people.
0: You're about to get weirder. <laughs> I know a lot of people. According to Facebook, I know 900. Wow according to facebook i know 900. You're the man. I really know 20 of them. Um 2020 just got weirder. You've been nominated for president.
1: I didn't realize 2020 could get any worse. It huh, I I think
0: it just got better if you're nominated for president. <laughs> Did you watch TV last night? Uh,
1: unfortunately, yes.
0: Come on, man, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Last night was the debate, uh, if you're watching this in the future, at a future time. We had um, we had a, a senile old man debating a WWF Hall of Fame wrestler. <laughs> I don't think enough it's people price. know this. Make fun of Trump all you want. There's a lot of reasons for it. But I don't think he gets made fun of enough for being in the WWF Hall of Fame.
1: Oh, he's a Hall of Famer.
0: He's a Hall of Famer in the I WWF.
1: He. I knew he made
0: an appearance. He had a shave-your-head match where he shaved Vince McMahon's head. Wow. Uh, he hit another man with a chair. Uh, he He's had quite a few appearances on there. If you can go from that to run in the free world, I think it's an obvious leap that we put you in as a presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. All right. absolutely. So... You have been nominated for president. What would be the three biggest things you attacked as a presidential candidate? What would be like what the staples that you're running on? And you got to be honest. Same kind of conversations we have when no one's listening. Um,
1: number one would be no war. Um, I think uh, that's something that's really not discussed and um, really hasn't been part of any discussion so far. I mean, maybe peripherally, but um, and that may may or may not be by design, but, you know, after, after in our generation, one of the largest political blunders, largest policy blunders of our generation was the Iraq war, which is based on a pack of lies. We're lied to, and um, that cost us trillions of dollars, contributed to the global financial crisis, um, and not, not to mention the loss of, you know, wanton, wanton loss of hundreds of thousands of innocent lives, um, as well as uh, the lives and well being of our servicemen and women.
0: Um, so. In 2019, the approved budget uh, for our military was $686 billion. Right. $686 billion. Right.
1: Well, you know, I think um, that's, a, that's a staggering number. Um, I'm all for having a strong military. Um, I'm all for, you know, being able to defend ourselves um, beyond any reasonable doubt. Um, but I, I'm not into war profiteering. Um, Uh, military voyeurism.
0: The Um, military industrial complex. The military
1: industrial complex. You know, Eisenhower warned us about the military industrial complex. It was his last speech before he left office about how it's taken on a life of its own, and it's a leviathan that
0: seeks to feed itself. I'll see your great quote, and I'll add a great quote. Go for it. uh, From a legendary comedian, D.L. Hughley. Mm -hmm. He said, America runs around the world... Like a middle school principal. Who got weapons of mass destruction? Who got weapons of mass destruction? And that's how we treat the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, We run the world like a middle school principal.
1: Right, exactly. (laughs) And maybe we need to mind our own business.
0: Maybe sometimes we should. focus on trade. Maybe focus on our own bullshit. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. It's like Oprah giving relationship advice.
1: Well, we know that... Get
0: in one first. (laughs) <laughs> right, 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 right. We know that
1: nation building doesn't work, and um, we've got plenty to build here. Um, we haven't really successfully built any nations ever. Um, we're not doing any successful nation building in the Middle East. We didn't in Nam. Um, it doesn't work. It's 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 that's no that's no reason to interfere and get involved, get bogged down, and, and you know again cost us. Uh, valuable f- funding and 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 lives uh, that
0: you know that uh, could be spared all right so president ali is first staple would be no war number 2 healthcare all right what do we need in healthcare
1: that's a million dollar question um i'd have to roll my sleeves up and get to the bottom of
0: do you remember the saturday night live character the rent is too damn high guy uh uh-uh. uh the rent yeah. is too damn high. I don't. Uh, a guy ran for mayor in New York City, and I think he came in fourth. And his whole political campaign on everything was the rent is too damn high, mm-hmm. and that's what he ran on. Mm-hmm. And with a budget of seven cents, he came in fourth. Wow! <laughs> so <laughs> the rent is too damn high. The rent is too damn absolutely. high, absolutely. And and the reason, well,
1: the problem is that you don't. We don't even know what the rent is. It's high, but we don't know. What that number is—that's the problem, right? So there's no transparency in the cost of healthcare. For example. Now, didn't Trump you, do something you go, about transparency you go in to, hospitals? Not with regards to not regard not with regards to how much a, a test or a study costs, or a procedure costs um, physically, actually, and how much the insurance companies are built for it, and there how much be they actually menu. translate. Translate that into premiums and in, in copays, so it's it's very convoluted
0: and there's a lot of um. I want to go to a doctor's office like a Ruby Tuesdays, where I go in and I look and it's like physical wellness checkup, thirty nine ninety five, doctor's visit, forty nine ninety five, blood pressure included, and I want to see what that is, and then I can get a combo. I'm like, hey, I got an athlete's foot. Oh, that's a minor side, and they can throw it in, and I get two major items, a side and a shot for ninety nine ninety five. And I know what I'm going into, and I can afford it. I don't know why healthcare is not the same way. There should be that same level of transparency.
1: There should be. It's the free you market. Vultures know what
0: it's cost. Well,
1: <laughs> actually, we don't. The, doc- <laughs> the, the doctors are, are cut out of. A lot of the complexities of this equation. For sure, um, we we know what things reimburse. We know what hospitals charge. We don't know what happens. The, the voodoo magic that happens between. Sure. Um, and and how that how that translates into patients' expenditures. What comes out of their pockets. So um, that's all. Um, there's a lot of margins built in, in built into there, and um, that's where the fat is. That's that's one of the areas. Where the Fed is. And, you know, the problem is, is that you can't really um, manage and cut costs effectively when you can't measure them. and You can't measure something that's not transparent.
0: So, um, how do you bring that transparency in place?
1: Legislation. You, you call attention to it, and, and you need legislation for it. But, you know, that depends on our elected officials actually making that a priority.
0: Could you imagine if you walked into a doctor's office and you saw the menu and it actually showed what everything cost? <laughs> it's like x-ray. We need to know what things 795
1: We need to know what things cost. Like, no,
0: I can go down the street and I can right? get that same x-ray for $95. What they, cash we, we need to know it. what
1: they actually cost and what the margins are. We need to know that. That's where the conversation begins. But, you know, none of our, none of these health care plans, whether it be, whether it's, you know, the plan that the Clintons proposed way back when, um, Obama's health care plan, Biden's health care plan, uh, and any of the Republican plans, none of them actually um, address that. So I think that that, that is one of the, the core um Approaches we need to take. Right. One of one of many.
0: So we're, we're going to go... Limited war. Healthcare with the biggest thing would be transparency in the pricing. All right. Transparency in the pricing as well as
1: transparency in... Um, in... Um, spending. Um, so is, is it just on... Beyond just uh, being... Uh, spending um for patients and studies and tests and procedures um pharmaceuticals okay how's that how is where does that fit in um to the equation what slice of the pie how big how big a slice of the pie um is the expenditures for pharmaceuticals because it's massive in this country compared to other
0: countries um because most americans are fat sick and broke and that's- What's the stat? The average American over the age of 40 is on five prescriptions a month?
1: Yeah, Gen- general health and chronic com- con- chronic comorbidities, obesity, um, and other problems. Just the average American's health is a big issue. But I think also, um, you know, just like we we're talking about the military-industrial complex, there's the medical-industrial complex. Absolutely. There's, um, there's the contributors to that are big pharma. Um, contributors to that are also, you know... Vendors to some degree, um, and the insurance companies. And um, and then, you know, to add to that, one of the things I recently came to find out, um, it's not new news at all, but there's been an exponential rise in terms of hospital dollars that are being spent by um, the suits, the administrators. So every, you know, every year, that cut, that proportion is sure. going up. So that means less of that proportion is for physicians or for studies or for tests. It's the people that are managing the money. So it's becoming very lucrative to become a hospital administrator um, and to have more suits and more positions that have to justify their own existence. Um, so that may be another area of fat that
0: we we can maybe carve away at. Back in two thousand and nine, I went out and I bought my first adult health insurance policy. It was through Blue Cross Blue Shield of Georgia. Uh, I believe it was called a tonic plan at Hmm. the time. Um, And for me individually, it was $100 a month with a $3,000 deductible. It's a pretty good insurance plan. Pretty good. $100 a month. That's the same thing that you pay now for yourself. same, yeah. Uh, I got very fortunate. I carried that plan for three months. And I had my famous freak wrestling accident. Uh, Naga Nationals 2009 freak accident. I broke my tibia at the patella. Uh, and I tore everything from my ass to my ankle. That surgery turned out to be $109,000. So God bless them. Thank you. Best money I've ever spent. I won in Vegas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, I carried that plan for two or three months before I had that surgery. Yeah had a great surgeon, shout out Dr. Bear Ortho Atlanta Uh, you've done all three of my major surgeries so you should be a sponsor for this podcast but when I got the breakdown of what that surgery actually cost and you see like the itemized bill and what your insurance company pays there was a screw there was a titanium screw that the doctor put into my knee it attached the tibia Back into the patella,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I guess you would say that where it attaches, like at your lower part of your knee, and the cost for that one screw was four hundred dollars. That screw was put in with an eighteen volt DeWalt drill. Mm-hmm. You can go to Home Depot right now, and you can buy that drill. There's no difference. It was an eighteen volt DeWalt drill. I know this because when I went into surgery, the surgeon was listening to Dave Matthews band and I started singing the song. And he said, oh shit, he's awake. And I was like, yeah, I have that drill too. It's in Mm -hmm. the back of my truck at home. He's like, oh, we got to redo this. And they came in and sedated me again. But I say all that to say, wow. he put in this bolt that Mm -hmm. was just a titanium screw. A construction screw. Right. The highest quality titanium construction screw you could get. That was sanitized. Uh, it was disinfected, whatever the medical term for that is. At best that's a four dollar screw. At best. That's a four dollar screw.
1: Right. That's exactly the issue. The transparency. Right? What's the
0: upcharge there and
1: why? Right. He basically
0: you- built a deck on my leg. Mm-hmm. and charged Blue Cross Blue Shield $109,000 for it. Yeah, pretty much. Those yeah. are profit margins. Massive
1: profit margins. If you get Tylenol in a hospital, it can vary from anywhere from like 18 bucks to $32.
0: I've heard this. Yeah,
1: for two Tylenol. That, you know, are a couple cents if you... buy, buy them get, at buy, buy Costco. Pharmacy. Exactly.
0: A girlfriend goes to Costco, so gets a lifetime what's supply top for a nickel apiece. What's
1: that upcharge about? Sure, it's it's you know, it's you're you're building in the cost of the hospitalization, you're building in the costs of um, I of, didn't pay for the damn building. I right, just had my all leg of that, put back everything together. Everything needs to be itemized. That's the problem. There's no clear itemization
0: in medicine. Um, that's when I go to the, the mechanic, route. when I We're both Toyota guys. I like Toyota and Lexus. I know you're a forerunner guy. Yep. When you pull into the shop, it says on the wall, shop rate, $105 an hour. We might think that's a little overpriced. We might think, hey, this job doesn't take eight hours, but you know, eight hours, $105 an hour. That's 840 bucks. Right. We don't have that in medicine. We don't. That's the problem. I go in, I get put to as sleep. As far as I can see. It. I wake up and they're like, that'll be six figures. And not not to, I'm not knocking doctors. I appreciate what you guys have done. I've had three major surgeries that just 100 years ago, they probably would have put me out to pasture. Or I would be a cripple. <laughs> so I'm I'm able to be, you know, young and vibrant. <laughs> Uh, because of medical professionals like you. So for that, I'm appreciated. Whatever you guys make, it's still not enough. But it's the suits and the insurance companies and the pharma reps that I'd like to have a discussion with them after I talk to the COVID creator.
1: Yep, they need to take a ticket.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They can get in line. That's right, get in line. All right, so we've got war, medical, and number three. What's your third platform you're running on? Education. Education. Yeah. All right, what do we do? Teachers need to get paid more. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: No question about it. I mean, it's just sad. It's it's sad that the, our future is in their hands, our future minds, our future success, our future innovations, um, our future leadership. Um, and, uh, you know, this is what we're paying. This is what we're contributing to it. Think about how much we, we spend on w- wantonless wars based on lies compared to how much we're paying our teachers that are, um, that are charged with the minds of our children. Uh, it's, it's a disgrace.
0: I, I can't agree more. I remember when I was a kid, I had such reverence and respect for my teachers. I could tell you my first public school uh, that I went to I was homeschooled for kindergarten and first grade. Shout out to my mama. Uh, She taught me to be a perfectionist. Uh, She never got me really good at spelling. But lo and behold, we've got spell check on everything, so what's it matter? Uh, But my first teacher, second grade, and I'm 37 years old. So we're going back to 1990. Uh, So we're talking 30 years ago. Miss Householder. That was my first second grade teacher. Third grade, Miss Lewis. Fourth grade, Miss Heisel Fifth grade, they get us ready for middle school, so I have multiple teachers. Mr. Warnicke was one of them. I can remember those people. They were important to me. They were special. I looked up to them. I, I thought they were politicians. Like, they were people of great importance. But then as I've been single and I go out in the dating world and I see, like, what most of the teachers actually are, you have the ones, like my friend Kalen Todd, who's an amazing teacher, the best and the brightest among us. But that's not a job that lures the best and the brightest. It gets a few of them because they have those hearts and they want to take care of the kids.
1: It's a calling to them.
0: Yeah. If you're paying somebody barely a livable wage, Right. They're having to live with three roommates as 35-year-old adults. It's a tough decision. We're not... I know a great teacher teaches at one of like the at-risk schools. She still lives at home with her parents. Right. Right. We're not going to get the best and the brightest.
1: We're not. We're not. We're, we're setting ourselves up for failure. By, I
0: thought when i not making them a priority, when I was a kid, I thought teachers would occasionally show us movies because there was something they wanted to show us. Now, after going on some dates with teachers, I know movie day just means a teacher's hungover. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's true. I believe it. Yeah. (laughs) Smart strategy. Um, And the same way for cops. I think teachers and cops, those should be some of the most prestigious jobs in this country. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We should be recruiting them. It should be the most sought after positions and they should be well paid. I agree. You think cops a dangerous job. Oh yeah. It ain't as dangerous as a teacher.
1: Well, they're charged with the safety of our communities. Um, I think it's not just that teachers and cops should be well paid. I think, um, you know, for example, I think, I think the infrastructure of teaching and, and, um, law enforcement should be able to improve. Absolutely. You know, internally as well as with external kind of review. Right. Um, in terms of curriculums, um, for example, teaching. Um, I think. I think um, teaching. The, a lot of what we learn, at least from my experience, a lot of what I learned, I felt was good, um, was kind of a a a pathway. But um, there's a lot of real life stuff that's left out in our education. Um, you know, just basic stuff like. You know, dollars and cents, finances, um, taxes, um, you know, basic stuff that we, we
0: we need in the real world. There's no way you should graduate high school or college without taking a class on how to file a tax return. Correct. There is no way.
1: But, no. You, but you get, you know, all of this random... Information, all these facts, datas, dates, Dates. shoved down your throat that you've got to memorize.
0: Bring me a damn CPA and show me how to get the Donald Trump tax break. (laughs) I want to learn how to do that. Exactly. And I also want to learn how to keep my ass out of jail.
1: Yes, school needs to be more, you know, needs to prepare us for real life better. Not prepare us to get into, you know, prestigious college. Um, so that's that's an issue, and you know, I mean, that's that's something that both, you know, that takes money, that takes funding, that takes you know, reviewing of the curriculum, and it and any anything any change requires, you know, getting over inertia. Sure. Same with law enforcement. You know, we talk about um, you know, there being some bad apples or some bad sentiments or some you know misunderstandings in terms of how people are treated, how people are viewed, well, you know, that's something that um, can be worked on. And that's something that um, takes some attention and takes some, some dedicated focus to improve. Uh, I mean, that's, that's what we do in this country, right? We, we, we look at something and we realize this is good, but it, it you know, there's, there's things that are happening that should not be happening and we can do better.
0: I like there's uh, an idea I learned from John Maxwell years ago and it comes from the Japanese culture and it is the idea of a word called kaiga akiga it's the idea of constant never ending improvement and it is no that is no matter how good something is you take it and you continue to work on it and you make it better every single day every single day every single time when Japan started becoming a big player in the automotive industry and they start producing cars. They were looking at vehicles and they were saying, oh, this part's wearing out at 200,000 miles. How can we get this part to 300,000 and 400,000 before it wears out? But here, one of the major American motor companies, when they were making cars at the exact same time, they said, oh, this part wears out at 100,000. How much money could we save if we got a part that wore out at 75000 mm-hmm. And I think that is a great analogy of America as a whole. We've cut back on quality, and we've stopped looking generations ahead, and we're worried about today and the present. That's right.
1: We're worried about this, this particular quarter and you know what we what we have to show for it. Because that's that's what we're being evaluated on, right? In terms of our professions, um, in terms of our raises and promotions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I think the metrics by with by which we measure quality needs to have a
0: more longer term purpose. Uh, so Doc, this conversation we are getting into. Uh, about the one hour mark. So I know we want to probably wrap this up in about 10 minutes to two hours. Uh, (laughs) And we've kind of covered the heavy stuff. Um, There's two topics I would really like to explore before we wrap this up. And actually, there's a ton more topics. And so that's why you'll always be one of the repeat guests. Uh, And if you guys weren't listening, this conversation would go on until our phones died. And then we just hang up True story. and we call each other in two weeks and be like, hey, man, sorry, my phone died <laughs> um, because we're guys. <laughs> but the two things I want to, I want to cover uh, one, I want to get into religion a little bit because both of our educational backgrounds are there. Mm-hmm. But also I want to get into something that we love just as much as religion, and that is mixed martial arts. Oh yeah! Ooh, we got some exciting fights coming up! Ooh yeah! <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, Khabib Gaethje, uh huh. What you thinking?
1: Oh, I'm I'm backing Khabib all the way, um, but Gaethje's uh, Gaethje's formidable. Gaethje's formidable. He's got a great punch. It's hard, and he's uh, he's he's got um,
0: he's precise. So I think. With Gaethje, we know he's a, a he's an accomplished collegiate wrestler. Sure. Uh, I know he may be able to stuff a lot of Khabib's wrestling. I, 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 th- I think he can stuff a lot of Khabib's wrestling. What I don't think he has an answer for is Khabib's ground game, once it does get to it, and the scrambles. Uh, what m- I think misses in most American-Brazilian jiu-jitsu and wrestling is not knowing how to do anything when Khabib gets on top of you and he throws those grapevines in. You,
1: you, there's, nothing, there's nothing you do to prepare for that. right? There, how you, do you prepare for You can't prepare for that by sparring. Who
0: are you going to call in? Yeah, Who's exactly, going to be your training partner? Exactly.
1: Yeah. When you feel Khabib... When, Poirier felt kabib when mcgregor felt kabib there's this look that comes across their face and that look that look happens where they're just like what is this right what's happening to me you see and them- then the next and then the next thing that happens it's it's like stereotyped is they look over at their trainers like what do i do right um what's happening to me right and their trainers have no idea what's happening and that's that's what happens
0: because you can't you can't prepare for that. And there's almost no answer to it, as you know. I've been involved in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu since two thousand and six or seven. Uh, I was fortunate enough. My kind of like first day uh, in the big boy adult world. I was on a job site. Uh, I ran a company, Red Rover Properties. We were a contractor for the government and mortgage companies. And myself and another contractor got the same job. Mm -hmm. Uh, Conley, Georgia. We show up to the job site. I'm there. He's there. And we get in an argument about who's going to do the job. Mm -hmm. And I say, hey, I need to call my contact at the bank, figure out what's going on. And he proceeds to tell me I'm going to leave. That he's there, he's doing the job. And I say, hey man, I completely understand everything. I still need to do A, B, C, D just before I can leave. And he starts cussing me, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave. And I'm like, hey man, you can't talk to me like that. And as you know, if people are rude, it hurts my feelings. Mm-hmm. I can handle myself, that's not the question. But I don't I don't think we should talk to each other that way. And if you'll cuss me, be ready for a fight. Problem is, I didn't know how to fight. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And so this grown man with a hammer attacked me at a job site on Lake Cindy in Conley, Georgia, and I didn't know how to fight. Yeah. Wow. But I was a hell of a middle linebacker. So as soon as he came at me with the, <laughs> with the hammer, I shot under. I hit a football tackle. Uh-huh. I sat on his chest. I put my forearm in his throat, and I pulled his head up. And I was like, would you please Stop. Please stop. And I asked the guy who was with me, will you call the police? This asshole won't quit. I got close enough to choke him. It wasn't a choke. Uh, I wasn't cutting off the blood on both sides of the carotid arteries. It was just more of a neck crank. Mm -hmm. But he finally stopped. Uh, I got to do the job. We got paid for it. Um, But I called my mom and told her I got in a fight. She asked how I did. I told her I did okay, but I didn't know how to fight. And she said, sounds like you did. "Ah, Not really. I mean, I knew how to not get hurt, but I didn't know how to fight. Right. Um, And she said, Hey, I know this guy at our church who teaches Japanese jujitsu. I go, I train in the basement of a church in Eagles Landing for like three weeks with a bunch of elderly men, some children. And I learn a little bit of Japanese jujitsu, pick it up relatively quickly. And he's like, Hey, you should probably go find a real gym. Like, this has been fun, but go get real, go get real training. And I said all that, I segued, sorry. I was able to get around some really good guys. Uh, One of my first coaches was Byron Stone. Uh, He is a black belt under Roberto Traven. He was uh, one of the original black belts in the Southeast. Probably been a black belt since 99, if I'm guessing. Uh, And another guy who's in the Georgia Combat Sports Hall of Fame, Kevin Brooks. And they just didn't teach me Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They taught me Sambo. And they taught me catch wrestling. And as you know, in the sports, that's Khabib's forte. Mm -hmm. And I'm not claiming to be a bad man. Not at all. Uh, In the gym that I train at, out of 150 guys... I would think I'm like top 25 mm-hmm. in the gym, just barely. Um, but what they taught me in the very, very, very beginning in my first year of combat sports was the Khabib style of smother and grapevines and for everything that I've learned in the sport since, and all the developments, and all the changes into this modern jiu-jitsu with the rubber guard, and barambola, and all these complicated positions. Nobody still has an answer. For once I sit on your chest, and I throw in those grapevines, and I drop ground and pound on you. Uh, And if I can ever get to that position with accomplished Guys, there's a few of you out there who know who you are that I will not say your name that takes checks from this sport. Um, (laughs) There's no answer to it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm saying, I think when Khabib gets on top of you with that most rudimentary skill, it's it's ball game over. Mm -hmm. You're going to watch the life leave Gaethje at some point, probably the same way as with Conor, third, fourth round. He takes you down, you get up. He takes you down, he gets up. He takes you down, he gets up. And at some point, the life leaves you. It's donezo. It's
1: donezo. That's Sambo, you know? I mean, the Russians developed it that way for a reason.
0: Oh, and it's, I appreciate how simple it is. I I—I kind of lose uh, some of my love of gi jiu-jitsu right now because it's all gone to this real technical guard game and sleeve control and all these new positions. Mm-hmm. He's like, what is this? Mm-hmm. I want to I keep it real simple. So do you integrate Sambo in your fighting style? Uh, I would be lying if I told you I had a fighting style. <laughs> um, I would prefer not to fight anyone. Uh, but yeah, my game is very, very, very simple. Uh, it would look kind of like a, like if Khabib had polio. Okay. That's, that's what I would compare my game to. Uh, I got a real good clinch. I got a real nice single leg, double leg. Uh, got a good hip toss. Yep. Um, and once I get on top of you, it's going to be pressure. There's going to be pressure passes. Uh, I'm going to grapevine your legs. Sounds like you got the
1: fundamentals down. Yeah. Khabib has a funny sheet. Funny t-shirt that I saw. Um, I think it reads something like, if um, sambo were easy, it would be called jujitsu.
0: Yeah. Right? And there is there is a lot of truth to that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of jujitsu is the passivity of the sport, which is great because there's going to be times you can't get up mm-hmm. and you better learn to be comfortable on your back, how to have distance, how to protect yourself, Right. how to look for that that one chance you have to sweep and get up and survive. Um, but it doesn't have the same intensity as wrestling, as Sambo. And I, I say that mm. with the utmost respect for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Sure, sure. Uh, but it, the modern form of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is not what I was taught. It's not what it was developed to be. Uh, and people like Hicks and Gracie are pretty appalled by what it is yeah, sure. yeah. today. Yeah, it's, it's
1: definitely morphed into a different thing now.
0: Uh, my first jiu-jitsu match ever, I had trained jujitsu for two weeks. Uh, and I picked it up quicker than some. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a guy who taught what I'll call prison jujitsu was kind of like my big brother in jiu-jitsu class. Mm-hmm. Uh, he recently passed away. Uh, Frankie Parham, we miss you, buddy. Um, he said, man, you should go down and compete at a jiu-jitsu tournament with us in Macon. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And a uh, guy I went in, and he immediately pulled guard. And I was like, what is this chicken shit? <laughs> he just mm-hmm. immediately pulled guard, mm-hmm. closed guard, and just laid and prayed. Mm-hmm. Laid and prayed. He went for an arm bar, like a real lazy arm bar attempt. And I just rampaged Jackson, picked him up, powerbomb style, over the head. Wow. Powerbombed him, put him on his head. He had a seizure. Wow. And I was like, ah, win. And I see his coach come off trying to fight my coach because apparently that's illegal and you can't do that. <laughs> I thought I won. <laughs> I am not allowed to ever go back there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all that's not right. real Yeah. That's not real competition. Right. If you can go for moves that would get you paralyzed and sure. that'd be okay. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. uh, so the second thing I would really want to get onto, to and we're gonna to have to say that for another time, would be our religious conversations. Oh yeah. Yeah that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole other world. That's a whole nother world, another story for a, another time. But around the Renaissance table, uh, we talk all things that make make men I can call my brothers. And so no matter where you fall in the aisle, religion comes into that. Uh, if I was running for president, I would probably have one thing that I was running on, and it would just be the golden rule. If we treated everybody like we wanted to be treated. I'm into that it would probably solve everything. Like, if that was just the rule, and if you didn't do it, like a dog collar went off and you got shot. Right, right. Is this how much you'd really want to bill yourself? Yeah. Would you really want to invade yourself? Right, right. That, would you really pull a gun on yourself in this incident at a traffic stop? Probably not. That that would be my one ticket. would just be the golden rule. Mm-hmm. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I don't think that's under the Constitution.
1: No. Probably, probably something we should consider.
0: Dude, with the Constitution, I'm in charge. One, That's the, maybe the that's one it. sentence. Yeah. And I'd still keep in the Second Amendment. I would still keep in the Second Amendment. All right, so I'm going to ask you one or two more questions, and we'll let you get out of here, and we'll kind of set you up for your next visit around the table. Uh, what are a few skills, if any, that you are interested in kind of developing and learning for yourself, those toolbox items of life as a man? What would you like to get better at? That's a tough
1: question. Hmm. Well, um
0: I do so much stuff, so I realize so many things. I do wanna
1: get out elk hunting. Definitely wanna get out in nature and um and and at least give it a shot. I don't wanna be closed minded about it. Sure. Right? What that entails, the whole process. Um absolutely. I like learning new things. Sure. Same. And I like new experiences. I like broadening um broadening my horizons, whether it be externally, um, or internally. Um, but yeah, beyond that, um, you know, I mainly want to focus more on kind of internal explorations rather than external ones. Um, cue the
0: psychedelic music.
1: <laughs> yeah. So more, more kind of, you know, in the, in the realm of meditate meditative explorations and, um, you know, looking into the self and the psyche and, um, and the soul and how all, all, all of those things kind of interplay with each other.
0: Sure. Yeah. I've always been told we're three parts, body, soul, spirit. Mm -hmm. And for me to get my soul in line, I gotta get my body in line. My body's being a little sugarcoated bitch. I'm never going to be able to take control of my soul my mind that 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 uh monkey brain Mm -hmm. is just going to keep on I think there's a lot of truth to that but once i can beat my body into submission then i can get to my soul once i've got to that point i can then become meditative and i can find that peace in my brain and i can kind of shut off that reptilian mind and then that's the gateway to the spirit that is you have to short
1: circuit that that reptilian mind and, but yeah, everyone's pathway, for you, it's the body first, then the soul. But everyone's pathway, I feel like it's different.
0: I can't speak for everybody, but like, for me... I feel I'm, like mine's similar to yours. Like
1: I think, I'm naturally I think lazy.
0: I'm naturally selfish. I'm naturally all of those things. I don't want to run. I don't want to get beat up by Chris Ruiz. I don't want to do that stuff. I don't want to make weight. But once I get that stuff in line, I'm in a better place to like to quiet my mind Mm -hmm. and then once we get to that soul level that's where that divine energy that's universal and unexplainable kind of comes into play Mm -hmm. and takes over oh yeah and we get people more like you and less like me if you will oh no I think uh, I think um, you've been smoking a little bit (laughs) I have not (laughs) I have not. It's uh, It's been a minute. It's unfortunate. I was giving you an alibi. I was giving you a way out. <laughs> uh, Doc Ali, this has been an amazing time. Thank you for being one of our first guests. Uh, we look forward to you being a regular, regular contributor. Mine. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, if I ever get compliments in life, I always throw it back to my parents and my friends. You're the sum of the people you surround yourself with. Uh, so for that man, I'm a better, I'm a better man because I have you as a friend. Likewise. Uh, cheers to our brothers in brown. Cheers, absolutely. <laughs> uh, people who don't know what that is, when we go out, it looks like the United Nations is having a meeting, uh, and we are the delegates. It's a very eclectic group, uh, and I'm the usually the only guy that needs to put on sunscreen. <laughs> so uh, until next time, thank you all for listening to Around the Renaissance Table. We are signing out. Have a great week and be better. That was a fun episode. Thanks for tuning in to Around the Renaissance Table. Until next time, this is your host, Arturo.